0: Welcome to the podcast, uh, episode twenty-five. I think it is, if I've counted, if I've counted right. I think we're in twenty-five. Good to have you all here. Thanks for being with us. Very, um, uh, very grateful for your involvement. It's um, good to see you, or I would say it was good to see you if I could see you, but I can't. What I want to do um, in my opening segment here is talk about the sexual revolution. And conservative Christian colleges, the sexual revolution and conservative Christian colleges. Here's the thing: um, the sexual revolution has metastatized. Um, we're we're into stage three or stage four cancer now, and we've gotten to the we've gotten to the point where, if you, uh, you know, it used to be that if you didn't want to go along with. Um, uh, the sexual revolution—you were kind of stuck in the mud. Now, if you don't want to go along with it, if you do anything less than enthusiastically applaud, like you were at a like you were at a North Korean missile parade or something, um, if you do anything less than vigorously applaud when um, when someone says, "Well, these two homosexuals are are marrying," make them a cake, or if these. Uh, These people want to make their own sexual choices, free from any kind of judgy thing from you. Uh, If you respond with anything less than enthusiasm, you're in trouble. Now, that's the general climate. Uh, People are not looking for tolerance. They are looking for approval. They are not demanding that we... Uh, refuse to, you know, they're not demanding that we not riot, for example. They're demanding that we give our full-throated approval, and that's why we have these court cases that revolve around celebrations like um, uh, wedding receptions. Uh, That's why the the cases have to do with bakers and photographers and videographers and uh, wedding planners and so on. Those are all celebratory disciplines. Those are all Disciplines where a person uses his expertise to help you celebrate an event. Okay, now um, and 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 so what they're doing is they're demanding that you approve. Now, what does that have to do with conservative Christian colleges? Uh, I'll give you give you a couple examples, um, uh, a couple of. Um, conservative Christian colleges oh well I, I need to back up for a minute um, there's a difference between the K through 12 uh, Christian schools that were formed within the last generation and Christian higher education most most of the colleges most most of uh, Christian colleges on the college uh, scene were formed a century or more ago um, so most of our colleges most of our Christian higher education institutions were formed before the antithesis between secularism and uh, Christianity was, qu- was quite as pronounced. Most of our K-12 through 12 schools were formed as a result of that antithesis. The, the, um, um, the, the explosion of homeschooling in the 70s and 80s, the explosion of classical Christian education in the 70s and 80s. These these things happened as a as a reaction to the pronounced secularism, the aggressive secularism that was manifesting itself in the government school system. So most uh, most uh, forms of lower Christian education are in an adversarial. They were founded and established um, in an adversarial posture over against secularism Um, most christian colleges were formed a century ago and they have or a century or more ago and they were not formed in this um, in the middle of this conflict now different schools have different attitudes toward uh, things like uh, federal money government money um, but all of them are functioning in a, a climate where Approval and applause for the sexual revolution, particularly the homosexual aspect of the sexual revolution, and now the transgender aspect of the sexual revolution, and this is affecting that handful of schools that, uh, handful of colleges that were formed in um, in the same way that the K through 12 Christian schools were formed. So for uh, schools, I would put in this. Category where it would be New St. Andrews, for example, which was uh, formed the same way in, in recent years, uh, in the 1990s, and uh, Patrick Henry, which was formed within the last generation. And then you have other small Christian colleges that, that are part of this, um, that want to be part of this um, reaction. Reaction is the wrong word. I don't want to speak in terms of reactionary, but um uh, sort of this the the few the proud the, the the schools that are sort of standing against uh, this drift another one would be King's College in uh, New York City uh, and then of course the uh, the the standouts that would be um, of established colleges would be Grove City uh, Grove City and uh, then uh, Hillsdale and the feather in their cap is they don't take they don't take federal money etc et but all, all of these schools are uh, facing a tsunami of secular pressure and and because you, we, we need to come to grips with the fact that the testing point is going to be the sexual revolution that's going to be the testing point so uh, for example um, if you uh, if you look at some of the um, well, I'll just put it this way. There's a faculty, there's a faculty member for King's College who uh, who just wrote a review of... There, there's a movie, uh, a pro-homosex movie that's, uh, that's coming out that's critically acclaimed and it's beautifully shot and everything. It's um, Oh, what's that? I don't have the name of it exactly right. Call, call Me By Your Name. Um, and a faculty member for King's wrote a glowing review of this movie. So how can you be part of a college that's trying to stand athwart the sexual revolution when you have a faculty member who's functioning as a cheerleader for it? Uh, and, and and then at Grove City, some of the faculty members have put out little rainbow stickers to show their welcoming attitude toward... Uh, LGBT um, um, students. So what's going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. The, those schools are losing the edge. Now, if we lose that battle, then it's it's all over. It's you stick a fork in it. It's it's done. Now, of course, you want to make you. I want to be very careful in in saying this because uh, at New Saint Andrews, there, you know, we get. We get students from all over the country, and they track in all kinds of things, all kinds of assumptions, all kinds of expectations, and and they are experiencing the pressures of our culture just as we are. But we want to experience them in full uh, full combat mode. We want to experience those pressures with our fighting gear on, and we want we need to be teaching the students how to answer these uh, challenges, how to answer these. Uh, obstacles. How to answer this um, sexual totalitolerance. tolerance? So, um, I would um, call upon King's College. You need to you need to tighten up. Your ship is leaking, man. Um, Grove City. You need to tighten up. You you can't you can't lose it here. What what good what good does it do you if you don't take federal money, um, but you take federal lies? What good does it do you if you don't take? federal programs but you take federal misrepresentations that uh, we need to take our stand all faithful um faithful conservative christian colleges need to take our stand on the bible period that's the end of the story the bible teaches something here's the verse what's your problem okay book review um uh, book review time. I want to, this this episode. I want to plug the Grace of Shame. The Grace of Shame. Uh, the Subtitle is Seven Ways the Church Has Failed Homosexuals. This written, This is written by uh, Tim Bailey and his son Joseph Bailey and uh, a gent named uh, Von Hagen. And um, uh, I finished it a few few weeks ago and was just really uh, impressed by it. The one the one takeaway uh, that I want to uh, mention uh, from this book. Uh, there's a lot more in this book. Uh, there's a lo- lot more than just this one point. But the the one point that I want to um, leave with you is this: uh, the authors make a great deal out of uh, uh, Paul's list in 1 Corinthians six, where Paul says that he gives a list of sins and. And he says, "Those who live this way will not inherit the kingdom." In in, in other words, these these sins are soul destroying, soul threatening sins, um, and and one of them is Malakoy. Um Now, some modern translations have there are two words there, um, are uh, and and uh, Malakoy, which. Some modern translations have simply collapsed into one sin. That is, those guilty of homosexual practice, and their their assumption is that the malacoi, literally the Malacoy are the soft men, uh, soft men, and it's assumed that uh, that word is talking about the catamite, the the person playing the female in sexual relations, and the other word, which literally broken down is, um, um, uh, lying with another man. So you'd have the catamite on one side and the sodomite on the other. And some modern translations simply wrap that up into those guilty of homosexual, um, practices and let's not look too closely at what they're doing in bed. It's just all homosexuality. Well, um, the, um, the authors of this book make, a, uh, I think, a very compelling case that Malakoy is not uh, limited to sexual acts. Malakoy is something that can... Uh, a a heterosexual male can be guilty of being a Malakoy. He can be guilty of being a soft man. A, a heterosexual man can be an effeminate heterosexual man. And, of course, they would say that the apex of this sin winds up in a homosexual relationship so um the malik the Malachi temptation when it's when it's uh, come to full full fruition is a temp is a temptation that uh, um, that culminates in homosexuality frequently but it can be manifestly there as a sin in someone who is heterosexual but uh, has a little twinkle about him. Has a little bit of a swish. Has a little bit of uh, that softness that Paul is condemning, and and so if um, now of course some people are going to say, what you're going to send people to hell for not being a lumberjack? Or are you going to send people to hell for not wanting to play football? Or you know, and it's easy to mock the stereotypical masculine things. It's easy to uh say you're reducing it to that but and i'm not reducing it to that neither are these authors but those things are a factor there are there are certain culturally assigned masculine duties men are men are told by god men are required by by god to be tough and to be hard men are supposed to be tough and they're supposed to be hard now, they're supposed to be hard for their wives, which is a very different thing than being hard on their wives, right? So um, uh, th- these are things we have to study. We live in, in an effeminate age. Um, uh, this book, The Grace of Shame, I think will do a, a really good job of highlighting for us all the different ways in which we've accommodated ourselves to effeminacy. Let's go. Archeology. The word itiyama is used once, once in the Bible, and it's rendered as complaint. And when, uh, this is talking about Festus. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. That's Acts 25, 7. So lots and lots of complaints. And it's interesting to note that they hurled all these complaints against paul they registered all these complaints and they did so without without any use of facebook or blogging at all they had no discernment blogs or anything like that one of the more striking aspects of the biblical narrative is how often god's servants are falsely accused Uh, you would think that we would have a what more of a um, suspicion Of accusation given that our Lord Jesus was convicted railroaded um, run through a kangaroo uh, trial on the basis of false accusation Stephen was executed on the basis of false accusation Paul had all these people come down and they were hurling all kinds of all kinds of complaints many and grievous complaints were thrown against him Um, so it's quite striking. You go through the New Testament, it's quite striking how often God's servants are falsely accused. Another striking thing is how frequently, how infrequently this is noticed. It's noticed not frequently at all, but it happens quite a bit. We ought to, have, we ought to take a dimmer view of false complaints, false accusations than we do. God in the time of the sickness, God in the doctor, too. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.